Chapter 32 It was almost noon under a pleasant Saturday's sun as the convoy proceeded to Albert Moffat's house. No sirens or lights for this venture. Grandisha was driving the lead vehicle. Margie was navigating. She also wanted to make sure she had a correct understanding of what really had occurred. My tailing job yesterday, when I followed the sparring kid to Moffat's, never occurred, right? Ray nodded his head. That's correct. Nothing you did yesterday occurred. You were home, recovering. That's two things I was involved in recently that never occurred. Grandisha shot a questioning look at her, then understood. Do you want to talk about it? He asked. Margie shook her head. No, I thought about it because of Gina Drosler and what those two fuckers did to her. They basically did the same to me. We were both completely naked in front of you. You saved both of us. You're a regular knight in shining armor, aren't you? So how come I can't maintain a relationship? I can't help you with that. I just wanted to thank you. Again. Ray smiled at her and said, For what? Margie laughed. That's right, nothing occurred. She sat quietly for a few minutes, then continued. What's going to happen here? I don't know. I ran the computer on this guy. Nothing. No arrests. No problems. Just him and his wife. No kids. He's some kind of a salesman. He's a non-entity. Do we rush the house or knock and get invited in? Margie asked. Oh, we'll go in gangbusters. If that's a mistake, we can apologize and they can sue the department. But I don't think it's a mistake. This guy's connected in a major way to those two. I just don't know how or why. Margie came to attention and alerted Ray. There it is, on the corner. It's that red brick house. Grandisha parked in front of the residence. Two vehicles parked behind him, the others on the side street. It was a quiet, older neighborhood. No one was working on lawns. Moffat's was overgrown. The others had been tended recently. They gathered at the street corner. Ray explained what he wanted done. One group approached the front door and another group the side. Albert Moffat hadn't moved from the divan since hurrying Sparn and Morales out the night before. Modern technology provided him with 24-hour access to a wide range of gifted Bible thumpers. He no longer understood the spoken English drawl that was spewing from the set 95% of the time, but that was okay. That part wasn't important. At some point during the night, Albert used the remote to increase the volume. It had remained blaring. Every half hour or so, a few lines of the special language, the tongues, came through clearly. He understood the sing-song banter perfectly. It mostly praised him. Even when it didn't, it still mentioned his name. He hadn't eaten, drank, or used the bathroom. Albert discovered his bodily functions worked just fine sitting on the divan, and he didn't have to worry about missing the messages. His wife didn't object, and the odor, although fetid, was bearable. The drapes on the picture windows behind the television were three-quarters open. 
They had been for a couple of days. Albert's eyes reacted to the activity in front of his house, but none of it registered in his brain. He had no intention of answering the door ever again, so people coming to visit didn't concern him. As a loud crash sprang from the front door, a silver-haired video guest asked Albert a question. He answered secretly as various people stormed into his house. Brandisha heard the loud voices coming from the home as he reached the porch. A stench was also readily apparent. Margie was directly behind him. She covered her nose and gagged. My God, what the hell is that smell? Ray shook his head and mumbled. No fucking clue. One of the officers gave Grandisha a large sledgehammer. He swung the black maul and shattered the lock, then followed his momentum through the door. A man and woman were seated on the couch. Neither acknowledged him. The rank odor almost brought him to his knees. Margie was the second person in. She sidestepped Ray and proceeded deeper into the front room. Despite her years of police work, she looked skyward and screamed, No! Oh my God, no! Her hand reflexively covered her eyes and nose as she turned away. The other officers stopped in their tracks. Most hung their heads. The ones from the side door had also arrived. Their reaction was the same. Mrs. Moffat had a steel claw hammer buried in her skull, the handle at 90 degrees to the back of her cranium. Maggots sluiced through rivulets of dried blood and had periodically dropped to her face and lap. Ray let the others deal with the dead woman. He stood between Albert and the television. Moffat spoke some type of gibberish to him. Grandisha tried to understand, but was unsuccessful in getting him to communicate. They had a difficult time prying him up and handcuffing him, but were finally successful. Two uniformed officers transported him to the station. Ray and Margie spent over four hours going through the house and office. He dispatched other teams to arrest the bit players deciding it was more important for him to remain and decipher what had happened. Randisha was in Moffat's office, rifling through the filing cabinet, when John Lepico walked in. The coroner had been in the front room, dealing with the body. Ray acknowledged him and said, Well, Lepico said, Good evening to you too, Ray. Randisha tiredly chuckled, then said, Hi, John. Fancy seeing you here. Good enough? I guess so. I hear you've been busy today. Your gamble paid off. Ray ignored the statement and repeated, Well, Lepico got down to business. Well, she's been dead for three or four days. I can narrow it down later, but at least three days. Ray interjected. And this fucking guy's been sitting next to her the whole time? Lepico asked, Have you found any connections yet? To the kids? Or victims? Not yet. All I have so far is what this Capone wannabe said. But that's pure bullshit. Lepico said, I've sent the body to the morgue. If you don't need me, I'm gonna leave. 
Grandisha finally smiled at his friend. Have a nice night, John. I don't need you for anything. Twenty minutes after Lepico left, Margie walked into Moffat's office. Ray was seated at the desk, his forehead buried in cupped hands. Margie couldn't tell if he was crying or sleeping. There were two beige files on the desk, touching his elbows. Ray, are you okay? She half whispered. He looked up and handed her the dinner coupon book file. Margie opened it and stopped at the first name on the list. He handed her the poker machine file. She opened it, read the list, and stopped at the last name. She pulled one of the chairs to the front of the desk and sat. She returned the beige files. So that's it? Those people, that place, were names on a list? My husband was killed because he was in a bar whose name was at the bottom of a list? I am so sorry, Margie. Pure, random selection. We couldn't have stopped the first one, but we had a chance at the second one. I'm sorry I didn't see it. What are you talking about? Margie asked, surprise clearly in her voice. Ray picked up the dinner coupon book file. We had this. We had the canceled check to the church. If we would have backtracked a few more levels, we could have found Moffat. Margie's eyes misted. Are you crazy? There's no way in the world we could have connected Moffat to this. No one in their right mind would have gone back to suppliers. She was quiet for a short time. Are you ready to head back to the office yet? Let these people finish their work? We're in their way. Grandisha started his bulk in motion, faked a smile, and said, You're right. Let's go. They spent a couple hours filling out reports. The lieutenant set all the wheels in motion for the follow-up. Regis Kahane had waited at the station for hours, finally left, and went to the hospital to see Gina. He left a note thanking everyone. Grandisha, sitting alone in his office, caught Margie's eye and waved for her to come in. She drug herself in, plopped down, and said, I can't type another word. Ray said, Neither can I. I'm going to stop for a drink. Would you care for one? I thought you'd never ask. You're listening to Many Combs by Steve Lestines.